Hey, Rockheads, it's time for NDC Oslo again, June 15th through 19th in Oslo, Norway. Richard and I will be there, of course, as well as all your favorite speakers. World-class stuff here, folks. NDC-Oslo.com. We'll see you there. .NET Rocks, episode 1128, with guest J.D. Trask. Recorded Thursday, April 9th, 2015. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl and Richard. Hey, man. Dude. Dude. Finally springtime here. I oh, is it? dusted the what's left of the rain and snow off of my grill. and I would and, have presumed it was just snow there still, you know, like forever. Well, yeah, it sort of <laughs> washes away with rain. So right. it's still precipitating, just in a different state. It's a juicier state. Yeah. The state of water, which we've gotten dumped on here. Wow. Yeah. No, it's it's been sunny and nice. I could have built a snowman the size of my house <laughs> this year. Our big concern now is like there's literally no snowpack on the mountains on in the west coast. Yeah, I don't know where we're going to get our water from. Yeah, we literally have to hope for a rainy summer. You have a pipeline from New England. That's what you're going to have. Yeah, could do. Could I don't know. Anyway, let's get started with better know framework. Awesome. <laughs> All right, dude, what do you got? Well, I don't, Uh-oh. I don't know if this is if this is good or if it's not. It's a little weird, but uh, it's, you know, so are our listeners, quite frankly. <laughs> so go to Tiny, you know, well, first of all, you know that I've, I talk about focus a lot and, yep. you know, music to code by is yes. all about focusing and all that. So I just went looking to see if there were any, well, devices to help you with that. Focus. Well, I know there's the focus actually, but that's that. I still haven't used that. I don't have the the cojones to use that thing because I think it's going to fry my brain. Well, because that's exactly what it does. That's what it does. Yeah, electricity just, in your brain. Yeah. What's yeah. the big deal? Now I've been trying to put it on you know teenage boys because <laughs> how could you tell, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Well, anyway, so go to tinyurl.com/slash/motivation device. I okay. know, it has an evil ring to it, doesn't yes, it? Yes, no. I, I, isn't that the carrot and the stick? Yeah, so this is the motivator, and mm-hmm. this is a product. Now, first of all, I don't have any interest in this product. It's like 60 bucks or something like that. But here, let me read it for you. The motivator, and that's M-O-T-I-V-A-I-D-E-R, from Behavioral Dynamics, is a personal electronic device that looks like a telephone pager. And for those of you who don't know what that is, just... Google it. (laughs) It clips to a belt or pocket and vibrates at preset intervals to help users maintain focus and develop new habits and behaviors. So popular uses for it include helping children with ADHD, learning disabilities stay on task. All right, enough of that. So I guess you set a goal, you want to know what you're doing, and then you uh, create a message to associate with each vibration. In other words, the buzz reminds me to keep my eyes on my book. So from what I understand, it's a timer with a buzzer. Okay. I think. And I'm not sure, but I think Keep thinking it might be something else, but that's... Yeah, I, I think it's a timer with a buzzer. Okay. It vibrates at preset intervals. 
to help you stay on task. Now, so what you have to do is you associate that buzz with a self-motivating message or something like that. I'm honest to God. I swear that's what I think this thing is. All right. But there you go. If that's something that you think can help, uh, by all means, try it. Or, you know, you could make a mobile app with an alarm. You could use your phone. Yeah. With a recurring alarm vibration. But there you go. Or you could be listening to music to code by, which has a break every 20 minutes. That this is true. (laughs) I don't know. Somebody tell me that this isn't a buzzer on a timer. I think that's what it is, dude. All right. All right. There you go. There's something. There's something. Okay. Who's talking to us, my friend? Grabbed a comment off of show 1122, the one we did at the Nebraska Code Camp. We talked to Joel Kaufman about debugging ASP.NET. And this comment comes from, there was a bunch, actually, but uh, this particular one comes from Martin Liversidge, who says, thanks for another great show. I agree that some developers' first attempts to fix a bug is to search on the internet. Mm-hmm. Just have a look at how many crash questions there are on Stack Overflow with little or no context except the exception details and a stack trace and, you know, no obvious example of where the problem is. Even the term crash can mean anything from a real crash where the application is actually terminated. You know, that's what a real crash is when the OS goes, you, out of the pool, right? Like, that's a crash. Right. As opposed to an exception being generated from the app itself, right? Just Or even a compilation error. So, you know, Martin's point here is there's so little education in this space that developers can even define what their error is. Yeah. However, not everything is as simple as looking to stack trace to determine the source of the problem. And Joel Kaufman mentioned that he would like to have null reference exception be more descriptive and report on what is actually null. And this was also a question that's been asked on Stack Overflow a few times. And, you know, you may think that the guys who did .NET were just lazy about not doing a backtrack on null reference exception, but it's not that simple because there's actually three levels of code in play. The C-sharp source code, the IL emitted by the compiler, and the machine code created by the JIT compiler. So an exception that's raised at the hardware level where the address zero is dereferenced by the machine code, the CLR then converts this into a null reference exception. Uh, all the CLR knows is the reference on the IL stack was null, but where did that reference originate? The CLR understands the IL, but does not have the knowledge about C-sharp. But even when there is some symbolic information, you're not always able to backtrack a value on the stack to a C-sharp variable. Quite often, references returned from functions, including property getters, are dereferenced. And this can lead to a null reference exception. But what source should the CLR report? In addition, the CLR is not C-sharp only. It has to support other languages like Manage C++ and F-sharp and goodness knows VB.net. And those can also produce code that throws null reference exceptions. Yeah. But getting from the IL stack and back to the source language can be very difficult. The bottom line, when a null reference exception is thrown, it's too late to determine what was null in the source code. They're just not being lazy. It's nope. hard. It's it a hard, hard problem. Yeah. So you've got to go back and work through to figure out where you introduced that null. Martin, thanks for the little bit of analysis there. We appreciate it. .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or in any of our mobile apps because we've got them for Windows Phone 7 and 8, iOS, Android, and Windows 8. And that brings us to our guest, John Daniel, or JD, Trask, is the co-founder and CEO of Mindscape, creators of the popular raygun.io error tracking software. 
John Daniel is a Microsoft ASP.NET MVP. He's been writing software for more than 20 years, and he lives in New Zealand and enjoys fine whiskey. Uh-oh. A man after our own heart. Welcome, JD. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Now, you know that Richard is a Kiwi, like yourself. Did you know that? <laughs> I I didn't. Once upon I was. I, I was born there. I have a passport. I just sound like a uh, Canadian, although the Canadians say I sound like an American. And the Americans say, you're not from around here, are you? <laughs> <laughs> He's a polite New Zealander. So yeah. That- we're all, all polite. All Kiwis yeah. are polite, it's true. I heard this joke on uh, an NPR quiz show, I think it was um, Ask Me Another, that you know what the, the most popular board game in Canada is, right? Sorry. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, with that out of the way, uh, so you're, you, you did you create this software and then create Mindscape, or have you always been focused on... Um, bug tracking and and dealing with bug stuff and just happen to be on this at this level of uh, product now. What what's your story? So um, our story is that we formed the company myself and uh, Jeremy Boyd uh, started Mindscape back in two thousand and seven, and we started we bootstrapped the company so we didn't raise any money. We just uh, did a mixture of some IT services work while we built out some products, mm-hmm. uh, and we built a whole range of stuff in the .NET component space. So we built an ORM called Lightspeed, and we built the the usual sort of WPF stuff as that came along and uh, and whatnot. And the company um, had a, a reasonable amount of success through that, and and we uh, you know were profitable and and running a nice little business down here in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And so in 2012, we wanted to build a a product around um, error tracking and reporting because uh, we kind of wanted to get more insight into our own uh, issues. And we'd seen that there was products kind of like this cropping up in the Ruby on Rails um, sort of part of the market, but there Mm -hmm. was nothing really the same in the .NET space at the time. and so we we sort of built that. We launched it in early 2013, and um, it's been going great guns ever since. It's still growing at a at a pretty uh, hefty clip. Even a couple of years in, it's still growing at about fifteen to twenty percent month on month in okay. terms of uh, customers. So that's that's going pretty well for us. So that's the that's the really quick run through, and um, it's it's been so successful for us that it, it did lead us to actually raise a little bit of money um, last year to sort of go even faster. Well, what's and, who wrote uh, the product and what is your background with debugging? Uh, so we wrote the the product ourselves and in, in-house. Uh, so my background, is, which I think is what you're kind of alluding yeah. to, is that I, I can write code. I've written a lot of code. Um, I worked on the product very early on, but the the company's now sort of grown to the size where um, I don't actually contribute code on a day to day basis, but I do uh, like to still code in the weekends. And so I, I I get the great opportunity as the CEO of the company to cherry pick a couple of little things that I want to work on uh, from time to time. So, for example, a, a couple of months ago, I rewrote our source map processing for JavaScript exception handling. Okay. Um, but it's all it's all in house, um, built by the engineering team. So Jeremy's our, our chief technology officer and sort of oversees all of all of that side of the business. And did this come out of a um, a necessity, like as a developer, that you thought, well, you know, there should be some more tooling around 
bug tracking and you know the the stuff that's out there right now doesn't do what I want. I mean, how did you how did you find this this niche? Well, we sort of reflected back on how we used to work. Um, so before we started Mindscape, we thought about how we would do error tracking when we when we used to work for an IT services company. And what I tended to see was that there would be some diligent developers on the team who would sort of, you know, they'd wire up the uh, global exception handler and they'd send themselves an email. And then the other developers would kind of go, you know, I've finished, I've finished writing the code, I've thrown it over to production, I don't want to hear about it again. But the problem was is even if you were diligent in sending yourself these emails, because there was no intelligence around it, you would just get, deluged with emails where most of it was just noise and slowly desensitize yourself and eventually set up a rule to ignore, <laughs> you know, all those <laughs> notifications anyway. Yeah. And so we were sort of thinking about that. And in the component space, um, we all of our products were the sorts that people would download and install on their machine, you know, and we would potentially not hear anything. Uh, and so we wanted to sort of build a, a digital lifeline, if you will, uh, you know, to those products to understand how they were being used. Uh, and what, what sort of blew us away was we dogfooded Raygun and uh, we instrumented those products because a lot of them integrate quite heavily into Visual Studio. And we found that, you know, only about 1% of users would ever tell you that something broke. And we're fortunate that our users are software developers. So that they send us, you know, reasonable reports when they do have a have an issue. However, we knew that most people that are building software, I mean, I'm sure you guys have received it. You know, it's the it's the Microsoft Word document with a screenshot pasted into it that just shows a you know 500 page with nothing else on it, and you're meant to figure out what went wrong. Um, you know, that used to drive me nuts back in back in the day uh, when we were working with normal people rather than software developers. So we wanted to try and build something to help everybody actually uh, improve their software. And it helped us improve ours uh, immeasurably, which was cool. I can't believe how many languages you support. How did you pull this off? It, I mean, this is not just a .NET tool, right? No, no, it's not. It's not .NET at all. Um, well, actually, it is .NET and it's everything else. So... The, the way that it's built is that, um, you know, 98% of all of the code is on the server. So it's a case of sitting down, making sure that we, we fully understand a, a given language and hook into it in a, in a smart way. Uh, so, for example, um, with the Raygun for Ruby provider, uh, you know, we teamed up with, with some people uh, who really, really know their stuff in the in, in the Ruby community to help right. build that. Um, so we, we have, you know, we have a reasonable um, set of people on staff, but then we've also contracted people when we've when we've needed to to make sure that they're, they're really, really uh, rock solid for those other platforms. So did you come from .NET or you came from Ruby? We came from .NET, um, okay. so yeah, we, we were we were a uh, you know Microsoft sort of you know dev house through and through, and all of our previous products uh, on the uh, from Mindscape, you know, were all targeting .NET developers. However, you know, one of one of our views was that, and I think you guys would agree that the market's kind of gone super polyglot these days. You know, uh, yeah, it's not like the the late 90s, early 2000s, where you picked your language and platform and then that was like it, you know. So um, we feel you have to support pretty much everything because people will typically build, say, an iOS app, 
an Android app, Windows Phone app. They'll talk to a back-end service. That might be in Python or .NET or Ruby, you know, and, and suddenly you're kind of going, hey, we've actually got to, to get a full picture of the health of your software, you've got to, you've got to handle all of those. All right, so I feel like we got to jump back a little bit and talk about sort of what Raygun is. I mean, I know it's about tracking errors and everything, and it's pretty obvious that it's cross-platform from the conversation so far, but but let's uh, give people an idea of, of the kinds of things that you can do with this that people may not be thinking of. All right, cool. Uh, so effectively, if you go to the website, you signed up for a trial, uh, you know, um, you install a small bit of code into your into your uh, software. So in the case of, uh, say, a .NET developer, it's a NuGet package. Uh, you drop that in, and there's a couple of lines you put in. I think it, it might even, for some languages, literally be one line, uh, which effectively sets up an API key, and then it sends um, all of the unhandled crash reports uh, off to our service. So is it a global uh, error handler kind of thing? It starts that way. Yeah. So, you know, that's the default uh, way to get, you know, to, to get to a quick win when you set up Raygun is, oh, hey, look, the stuff started going wrong. Then subsequently you can bolt on extra features. So, for example, there's, uh, you know, attaching uh, unstructured custom data or structured tags. You can do user tracking. So the idea here is that if you've got an app where people are authenticated, um, you can attach the the details about that authenticated user and that way when you resolve issues in Raygun uh, you could actually choose if you would like to message those affected users uh, you know with a note saying hey you know sorry about that crash you had last week we've just shipped a fix um, we wanted to to build an experience where at the moment people are trained when they get that pop-up that goes you know do you want to send this crash report to Microsoft or to, to Apple and you kind of go why would I bother like Right. Not much changes. Most people think but, it's going to slow them down or whatever. Yeah, yeah. because they're never going to see anything come back from that, right? While we've started seeing customers who are really using this feature in anger, and, and it kind of blows people away when they get contact from a company going, sorry about that crash yesterday, we've shipped a fix. Yeah. Um, you know, that kind of suddenly rebuilds that trust. You turn a sort of potentially at-risk user of your software into like a raving fan when you do that. Yeah, yeah um, So there's a point. whole lot of those sorts of features that we, we're building on top of just being a crash reporting I'm, sort of core. Now I'm trying to get the chain you're going to have to do to pull that off. So obviously an error is going to occur on a client somewhere. Is that usually a browser? It's, it's, it's usually, uh, it's all over the show, to be honest with you. Right. Um, you know, we do have the client side stuff, but uh, more often than not, the things that people want to use um, uh, with the server side level of things around the user tracking. JavaScript's an interesting beast to deal with uh, errors from because you get so much noise. Yeah, a lot of a lot of minor errors. There's really not a whole lot you want to do about. It. Just keep going. Yeah, and I mean that's one of the most almost oddly enough one of the key features of the product is we we apply some smarts when the errors flow in to group them up into sort of the the root cause if you will by doing some analysis on the stack trace and other other bits of data about the error. So you're only dealing with sort of you know core things that if you fix this bug you've wiped out all these all these errors. Interesting. The nice thing about that is that you can then say hey permanently ignore this whole group. And that's good if you're getting things like robots coming to your site and you kind of go, look, I'm never going to fix this because it's not a real bug. Right. You know? But I sure as heck don't want to keep getting told about it. Um, so you can just permanently ignore it. And, and so how are you it. told about it? So the, the error occurs, it gets sent back to the service. 
how do how do we see these errors so there's a there's a web app that you go to on on uh, raygun.io that you'd log into that's got a, a nice dashboard pretty graphs you know aggregate information and then the raw instance stuff right however we also send you emails um, and we do integrate with a lot of the chat tools like slack and hip chat and uh, things like that so we we particularly like using it with the with the chat tools um, to be honest because as the team grows you know everybody might get the email that something broke but in the chat it's very easy for somebody to kind of just say hey that was my part of the app I'll, I'll jump in there I was just working in this bit I must have goofed you know that's tell you thing. what I've been using slack for a long time now and it's uh, if you're paying attention to it it's great but as soon as you miss stuff and you have to scroll back and try to piece together conversations it becomes really hard and uh, yeah, but it, it is good to know that things, you know, if you set up a channel in Slack, let's say, you know, for, for crashes, that I think is easier than uh, trying to piece together things that happen with conversations. But for that, I would use a, you know, Visual Studio Online or, or even yep. a Kanban, you know, solution. Which we do integrate with Visual Studio Online and mm. things like Trello and whatnot. So, yeah, it's really up to people to choose how they'd like to do the integration yep. um, for how they want to be messaged. We also don't send uh, notification messages on every error because, as mentioned earlier, you know that desensitizes you. So what happens is when you, when we see the first uh, error come in and we go, hey, this is going to form a new group because this is a new root cause, we will send the first sighting email. So some people joke that that email gets them before they even get the error page load. It's pretty quick. Nice. And then at that point, we start doing a, a, a we start tracking that error. So what I mean by that is the, the worker processes at our end will monitor that particular root cause for a period of time and send you a follow-up email. So the first follow-up comes two minutes later and it might go, hey, Carl, you know that error I told you about two minutes ago? Well, it's happened another 500 times and the rate is increasing. You should probably go and look at this. Yikes. Uh, and that, yeah. Sorry. I just kind of frightening this idea of, you know, you may, you make a patch and one error comes in, you're reading that one and then you get another message that goes, here's a 500 more of them. <laughs> well, exactly. But we, we really just didn't want to fill your inbox with 500 emails. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but we wanted to be able to really tell you, hey, this is, this is going to be a problem. And those things roll out. So there's a two-minute check, 10-minute check, 30 minutes, that sort of thing. Mm. And then, of course, you get different people on the team that aren't super responsive, like, say, the dev team manager. And you can toggle on that you only want to get a daily roll-up and that sort of thing that you, you want to understand the overall health, but you don't really care about the, the real-time stuff. So and these just become like work items in Visual Studio or cards in Trello, that kind of thing. You can connect them up that way. Yep, uh, absolutely. The way that it tends to work, I see, is that uh, developers use the um, we inside Raygun. You have like a an app container, if you will, and that has a dashboard. And that dashboard then has the list of the error groups and a count of how many times those errors have occurred. So you might have one like you talked about earlier, a null reference exception. And it might have occurred at a particular point in the code a thousand times. That'll be one line item in there. And so a lot of developers end up where they use the Raygun dashboard effectively as their sort of de facto to-do list. You know, uh, it's great for when people are sort of working on, say, bug bash uh, sort of runs near the ends of projects and things like that. It's nifty. So, I mean, that's just, that's the one hook. Now, 
how do you tie that back to the user? Like, I want to get to that whole chain of you send an email to the person who had that error and say, hey, really sorry about that. We're working on it. Like, how do you how do you associate that error with that customer? So that's where that's where you use the other um, API call. So all, all of the languages that we support, we ship what's what we call a provider library, and with that library, there's a bunch of different functions on there. So when you when you first sign up for Raygun, there's a there's a sort of bare minimum that just does that unhandled crash report. It doesn't include user tracking. Um, it doesn't include the tags of custom data and things like that. So there's just a method on the Raygun client library called setUser, and that allows you to pass in if you've got, say, an email address or a name um, to, to send it through to us. Uh, by default, we do a sort of behind-the-scenes um, effectively generating a GUID and sending that through. So we can tell you how many uh, sort of users are affected, but by default, we don't know who they are. We can just right. say, hey, you had a 1,000 errors, but it only affected 10 people versus a 1,000 errors that affected a 1,000 people. Um, so it's up to you to call those additional APIs. Um, but that's pretty simple. It's a very lightweight sort of uh, little client library for each each language. Should I add add this stuff in, and then you get all this additional capability. And then yeah, well, I mean, it's problems. that whole thing with product development in general, right? You want to you want to try and get people to an aha moment as quickly and easily as possible when they start with your, with your product, and then once they become comfortable with it and they start going, okay, cool, what else can I do? You kind of want to lead them down that. So, you know, we talk about the pit of success in software. Mm, it's right. the same thing around product usability. So start them off with the the easy, very quick to see something broke, then help them uh, sort of get even more data about the problems and understand them better. Now, you, you mentioned a, um, on the server side a dashboard. Is it st- something that you can turn things off and reroute stuff and stop messaging? when everything's working fine? Uh, there is some sort of high-level workflow function. So the idea of, for example, if you fix an error, you can sort of say, hey, this one's been resolved. It'll take it away from your active list. There is that permanently ignored status. You can uh, mute all of the notifications if you want. Uh, there's all sorts of stuff like that that you can do. Um, it's relatively, I say lightweight because we get, a few feature requests where people kind of want us to morph it into a full-on issue tracker. Like, hey, how about I submit a feature request into this thing? And it's like, uh, we don't really want to to uh, sort of lose focus here. And I think there's some pretty good issue trackers and that out there. We want to be the the automatic feed that's creating items. Yeah, yeah, because there, there's issue trackers out there already, and you integrate with them. Absolutely. Yeah, you're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. But this sounds like it's a dev tool. This is something developers need to incorporate into the application. Absolutely, it is. And uh, that that's what we're seeing is that it's typically is the, the development team, maybe, a, a, you know, in larger organizations, the QA team. Uh, we also do see sometimes people in support, especially if they're using the user tracking. So they might get, you know, Oh, I got this email from, or you know, Carl Franklin's rang us up, and I can jump into Raygun while we're on the phone and actually see potentially that. Okay, cool. We can see that you've got an error, and I can make sure the engineering team are going to go and have a look at that. Hmm. Yeah, there's always this dynamic about how to rank what errors to fix. Absolutely, we don't. We don't at this point try to say which ones are more critical than others. However, um, we do try to suggest to people, for example, that using that user tracking metric can be useful. So, like I said, if you had one error that affected 
uh, sorry, a thousand errors that affected one user. It's probably not as big a deal as say a thousand errors that affected a thousand users. Right. Um, so I think that's something that the whole the whole DevOps thing, you know, like and the way that software is going, I think we're moving a little bit away from software engineering being entirely between the developer and their computer. Right. We're starting to think a little bit more about the fact that why are we writing software in the first place? Mm-hmm. Well, we're writing it for people, you know, and how people are affected by our software is important. And so I, I often think that that's possibly a better metric. Um, having said that, you know, <laughs> you guys would have written, you know, payment systems before. You know? <laughs> And you kind of go, man, you've got to tread carefully in there. So, you, you know, we do have the ability for you to rename groups and things. So we have, for example, with uh, Raygun itself, when if there's a billing issue, you know, that that's sort of, you know, an all caps, hey, the you know, <laughs> there's a payment issue. Somebody might be super, super annoyed here. Right. Um, you know, fix Priority this Priority level. Yeah. 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 Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is. Oh, it must be that happy time again. Yep. Time to wire up Raygun to my mid-show joke response app to find out how many people are laughing. Oh, I know. There's a there's a long list of errors. Oh, what what? <laughs> that's, that's not gonna not gonna help me. No, Raygun doesn't fix that problem. No follow up email. Five hundred other people don't like this joke. Oh, either. that's a shame. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually time to give away a music to code by collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But awesome. let me tell you about Music to Code by. It is not an album of music. It's a productivity tool. Three 25-minute quiet and groovy instrumental music pieces called tracks designed to get you into a state of flow and keep you there. Developers all over the world are being more productive with Music to Code by. See what all the fuss is about. Go to mtcb.pwop.com. Listen to some samples and search hashtag MTCB on Twitter. Nice. Yeah. So, dude, who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Alex Greenham. Congratulations, Alex. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. So he gets all of the tracks. Now there are four. There might actually be five by this time. Wow. And uh, uh, the DVD or Blu-ray, actually, documentary, The Making Of, for those who are really interested in how this stuff gets put together. I'm, I'm impressed that you've got a fifth one coming that quickly. You've, are you really in the groove of making these things now? Yeah, I really am. Um, I, I seem to have found a, uh, a formula that, uh, that works. Huh. And I keep asking for, uh, you know, how can I do things differently? And everybody say, just keep making them. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what I'm doing. Although so. I have seen, and I have seen folks saying, I like this one better than that one. Oh, yeah. Like, They've got everybody's got a favorite. There, I orange seems to be the favorite, the one that yeah. people mostly uh, cite as being. So I'm gonna try to make one in that vein, not nice. exactly the same, of course, but you know that that style along those lines. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, anyway, if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big "Get Free Stuff" button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree, but you got to sign up to win. We also like to ask our guests, JD, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Um, well, I've been, I read a great article recently about CNC robotics, uh, which, which you can read about at uh, bit.ly slash CNC robots. And uh, this is, 
a CNC machine would be pretty cool. That's that's kind of what I'm eyeing up to buy in, the, right, in the future. There's, let us know what a CNC machine is. It, it's effectively uh, like a, a, a routing machine for cutting metal. So you can build, you know, like uh, robots. Like imagine effectively what they use to uh, create products these days, um, you know, rather than a 3D printer. So it's like carving carving out metal and, and plastics and things like that. Wow. So this guy writes an article about how, well, a whole site actually, about how he bought one of these things and he's building these like little cars and robots and he hooks up the servos and he's and stuff and he's he's actually fa- effectively fabricating all the stuff himself so if you wanted to eventually build yourself an iron man suit you'd want to know about cnc routing machines yeah wow. we, we you know 3d printing is about additive manufacturing where you're adding material on a cnc machine is a subtractive manufacturer yeah, it cutter. is it is cutting i'll right. cut all kinds of different materials in all kinds of different ways hmm. well that's really cool and it's a lot more than five grand. So yeah, that's pretty. The the, the super cheap ones are five grand, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, would you build robots with this? Is that sounds like what's your what's on your agenda? Yeah. So for for hobbies, I I like to uh, play around with electronics and and stuff at home. So um, that's that's kind of basically robots, virtual reality, and and just generally cutting code are like the three things I I like to to do. So. Oh yeah, here's a basic CNC kit for thirty thousand pounds. Ah. <laughs> Just the basics. Well, there you go. But it's a pretty awesome looking machine. Like this, this is serious business. Uh, yeah, that, you know that, the, the electronics is the easy part. It's the casings and the chassis and all that sort of stuff that's hard. Well, that's that's why I, I find this stuff kind of cool because that's it. You buy if you buy a robot kit, right? It is usually the fact that it comes with these parts that automatically just you know fit together and make it look kind of cool. That's the yeah, the, the, that's where grabbing say a CNC machine or you know even a three D printer you know can be can be quite useful. So what else do we need to know about uh, tracking errors that that something like ray gun is going to help us with that we couldn't do without a tool? Well, I mean, effectively. A lot of the time, people don't have this level of insight uh, into their their software errors. I mean, in the Microsoft world, you know, let's take ASP.NET for example. You might be able to connect to a server and and sort of like look through the event log if you weren't doing anything about the errors and see if there were any unhandled stuff. But in a, in a reasonable sized organization, you're unlikely to have easy access to that. So one is just giving visibility to the developers, and I actually find that really useful again for just helping. Uh, keep your head in the game of what are you building the software for and the fact people are using it, which I, I personally find quite satisfying. But, um, you know, giving access to, to data as they need it. Secondly, right. when you get to um, scenarios where you can't get a log, so, for example, that's mobile apps and it's JavaScript. So if something is breaking in the end user's browser, you, you're not going to have a server log. Uh, so you have to put something in there to tell you about it. Um, so with all of that, that that's something you're, you're not going to get otherwise without a tool like this. Um, so they're, they're kind of the two biggies that stand out in my mind. Now, you know, I'm a resourceful programmer and I have tools out there that do instrumentation. Uh, and I could certainly wire something up to, um, you know, to make a global error handler and a WPF app or something like that or something behind the scenes in ASP.NET and, and use an instrumentation app. What is 
what am I not, what am I missing by doing it that way? Effectively, you're going to miss out on the, uh, the grouping. So that sort of sane way of dealing with a smaller set of data so that you can take action more effectively. Uh, we see that uh, there was actually sort of a, a chap the other day who tweeted this because it's super common in the, when you're selling to developers that the first thought they have whenever they look at a tool is kind of going, hey, well, I could build this myself. Yep. Uh, firstly, that's a terrible economic decision for something that's you know relatively cheap. And secondly, it's often not until you start working on something that you realize some of the more complex points. You know, this is why we're generally all pretty bad at estimation. Um, so this guy actually tweeted, he's like, oh, you know, my biggest mistake was thinking I could build this myself. And I can just <laughs> tell you right now, you know, we have a whole team of people working on this and doing things like improving the grouping is, it does take a lot of time. Now, when I you mean, say grouping, tell us exactly what you mean. So with the grouping, that's where if we're getting a stream of errors coming in and we do that classification down to the sort of root cause or the idea that these are the same error that have occurred. So the identity of an error is actually quite hard to do. And I'll give you for a couple of examples and I'll I'll pick on JavaScript since it's um, horrid, uh, which is IE, for example. Internet Explorer is the only browser that will actually localize your uh, messages. So if you've got older versions of IE in particular, you, one, you won't get a stack trace to begin with. And secondly, if it crashes in a user's machine where they've got uh, you know German Windows running, they'll have a different error message too. So suddenly you need to kind of go, well, if we have to fall back to message level grouping, we then also need to have the resource file from IE to know that this is the English version of the, you know this German message and, and collapse that down to a single thing. And then secondly, cross-browser an error that occurs in Chrome does look subtly different, and even the line numbers and things in the stack trace can be different, but it'll be the same error as what's occurred in Firefox and IE. So we've put in the code to you know, wrangle all of that together to still kind of go, actually, this might have been in multiple languages, it might have been from multiple browsers, but it's actually one bug. You just need to fix this one bug. Right. That sort of thing is quite hard to do. And if it's fragmented across all of those different languages and platforms you may not realize the priority of that bug because it, no single platform combination is happening that often. But Correct. combined, there might be, it might be a very frequent bug. Absolutely. So, yeah, that, that's the sort of thing where it's like you could, you could burn a, you know, a good number of days, if not you know, a couple of weeks, trying to get that working really well. Um, so that, that's why you probably don't want to wrangle it up yourself, Carl. You know, the other tool that it, this reminds me of is preemptive analytics. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's- Although they they also go, I mean, they do that ba- the core loop, which I think is incredibly valuable, of collecting errors in production and feeding them back to the dev stack. Like that to me is like job one. But then you also get into the uh, what features are being used, what buttons being clicked on the most, where are folks going, so that you sort of know what you know versions and features of things are being used in your app to to know where to focus your attention. Absolutely. Do you guys get into that or you just focus on the error part? We do track versions and we also have um, a new feature around deployment tracking. Mm-hmm. So this allows you to sort of understand. So if you're using, say, a tool like Octopus Deploy or, or whatever to push uh, things to production, you can actually tag our, our service. And this allows us to give you an idea of, for example, what were some of, you know, was this a great 
uh, release or did this release actually introduce a whole lot of new bugs maybe we want to roll that deployment back um, so we've got a few few features like that that are coming out and we have a lot of things that are in development uh, right now as well as as sort of hinted at earlier the, the core idea of crash reporting is in there but we're trying to layer on these uh, fuller value services um, to really help help developers yeah to, to try and just get better at what's going on in your app like knowing how things are being used prospect of rolling back a, a version is terrifying <laughs> it is and i wouldn't i, I would never uh, sort of suggest that it should be automatic Roll ahead. but it can be super useful for uh for people to sort of actually go wow actually is this has this been a bad deployment or are we just seeing sort of you know a random problem a good example is quite frequently you'll see higher trafficked um say websites where they push a new version and there will be a spike in errors at the very time of the deployment because you know various bits of state change usually the app pull reloads things like that so there'll be a little spike but that's kind of expected this allows you to actually say well those occurred but were they new errors that is this actually just a fundamentally bad deployment yeah like something's gone wrong mismatched you know you've messed up your your automated deployment has not helped you Absolutely. And the thing that I actually find quite useful is um, a tool like Raygun in the mix with people who are running tools like, say, Octopus, and they've got maybe Team City doing the builds. The cool thing is, is you kind of put something out there, you get an error report, you quickly fix it. You can then, you know, with a couple of clicks in your browser after Team City's built it, push something out. So you've got a really, really quick feedback loop and the ability to get things uh, into production. It kind of, you know, I've been coding long enough that to me this always feels like a superpower. You know, um, you you build something and get it out. You know, <laughs> in minutes, not well, weeks. I, I also like the idea of now build smaller pieces and ship them early and often, right. so that you don't take big bites and you can catch problems early on. Right. Totally agree. Yeah, I've, I've been calling it integrate first. Like we're are building features that the customer can't actually see, but they're running with like test data and things out in the field. And we're dealing with all the integration problems before we ever quote, turn it on for the customer. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, for me, it's been in instrumentation packages and I've used pre analytics a lot. I've used new relic a lot too, because you know, I want that. I need that feedback of effectively using the customer as the Guinea pig. And I want to know, what they're using, how often they're using it, where they're getting their error messages, especially code they've never seen. You know, that isn't, you know, it's really evil to put in a feature they can't access. They don't even know where it is. And, uh, but it's causing an error. Well, here's another way to look at it. We're talking about all these other tools that do instrumentation and not necessarily focused on crash reports and, and crash pinpointing. Can you use, uh, Raygun IO for instrumentation that doesn't necessarily start with an error? Uh, you can't today. <laughs> okay, so it's specialized to de for debugging. It's it's very focused on on that on that uh, area at the moment. Um, and in all honesty, you know, it's one of those things where I would have thought, you know, it's been two and a half years. I would have thought we'd solved you know crash reporting by now. Mm -hmm. But uh, we keep finding new and interesting ways to help help our fellow developers actually you know resolve problems. So. Uh, we'll we'll keep going, and and the longer we spend on it, you know, the um the the, the better the product becomes. So, 
it's, it's useful for, for everybody. We mm-hmm. use it ourselves. That's that's the big driver. Sometimes we'll have somebody say, I'd really like this feature. And it's like, yeah, well, we really want that too. So it's pretty much going to happen. <laughs> so many bugs, so little time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, don't, don't, you know, don't, don't laugh. We've, peaked i think at processing 110,000 crash reports per second so software's wow. pretty bad yeah that that was in particular one one customer who who made a a big big mistake um and they were a very very big customer so are they running are you running the infrastructure piece of this or does the individual customer run it no we it's it's a cloud uh solution so we we host the infrastructure uh, right. for it you just put in the little library into your code, and then it sends it off to our service. We do, um, we do have on-premise options for for sort of the larger enterprises, but yeah. right. you know the, the the usual cases: sign up, pay a small monthly fee. You know, services available. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because there there are a lot of people who still aren't going there cloud-wise. Yeah, a- absolutely. Yeah, or you have a totally interior app that doesn't have access to the interwebs, right? Yeah, right. So that that's a big one that we we do get a fair bit as people kind of go. I want to send you crash reports, but I have no internet access, and I'm kind of like, well, well there you go. And here <laughs> we are. Right. I don't know how am I meant to answer this. Should you call go to metrocast.com, you know, or whatever it is. Um, pricing. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So the way that it's priced is it is software as a service application. You pay a monthly fee. Um, starts at 50 bucks um, and goes up from there based on how many errors you want us to process for you per month. Uh, so a common scenario is if you if you go to raygun.io slash pricing, you'll get more of the breakdown, but it starts at processing uh, 25,000 errors a month, which mm. sounds, sounds like a lot and people are quite often surprised at how many they actually do create because, again, it comes back to that uh, metric that I mentioned earlier, which is that we found only about 1% of people ever told us we had problems. Right. And so the actual volume you get tends to be a lot larger. However, there is a free trial. So it's really, really useful for getting an idea of how many errors you have. And then, you know, if you if you can squash some of the bigger ones in the trial period, you, you'll fit within that plan pretty easily. And then there's also uh, sort of an annual plan where if you're willing to pay up front, you know, we, we give you a, a 10% discount on that as well. All right. Well, this is, this sounds good. And I think uh, that we've given uh, people a good overview as to what the, what the, the ups and downs are of this. Do you um, have any special offers or anything for .NET Rocks listeners? Absolutely. Uh, what, what I'd like to offer to the, the .NET Rocks users is uh if they get in touch with us, uh, we'll extend out the, the free trial period from one month to three months. So there is a feedback link in the sidebar inside the app. So if they jump in there and hit that, they can shoot us a message right within the app and, uh, and say, hey, you know, I love .NET Rocks. You know what that means. So Very good. Cool. All right. Well, thanks again. Thanks very much, JD. It was a pleasure talking to you the last hour or so. Well, thank you very much for having me. I've, I've really, uh, really enjoyed it. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, 
and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and of course in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the MC.